happy Thanksgiving. I hope it was a good time for you guys to be able to connect with friends and family. And I can't believe that Thanksgiving's over. That's that's the crazy thing to me. It seems like it was just uh, it was just the beginning of the year, and also now we're uh, four weeks away. As a matter of fact, we are 27 days. Um, I believe it's about 14 and uh, 14 hours and 42 minutes away from Christmas Day, which we'll be celebrating a service in here that day too. And I'm excited about it. And if you really break it down, you want to think about it. We're about 670 hours away from uh, from Christmas Day. Or if you want to go by minutes, I wrote that down as well. And that is 40,210 minutes away. I didn't do the seconds because I can't do math that well. Uh, and I couldn't find it on any of the online calculators. But the, uh, the thing is, is as you look at that and you think about how quickly time moves, how fast it's happened, how all of these things have just played themselves out in our lives. And, and you look back and you go, where did the time go? And what's going to happen is in the next four weeks, 27 days, 13 and a half hours, uh, however you want to put it, it's going to fly. The only time it's really going to slow down is when all the kids get out of school for that week before Christmas, and you're just praying, God, that the school will come back into session again. And and for kids, they're dragging it out. But think about this. In those next 40,210 minutes, you know that somebody's going to get right up to that last minute out there trying to find the right gift. And it, 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 it's amazing how quickly our, our time moves. And, you know, time is a funny thing. And depending on the circumstance, it moves either really fast or really slow. I thought about just taking just, just, just one minute, 60 seconds, and just being quiet and just watching my watch take away. But that'd be weird. Because that minute would seem like an eternity. Just me would do that little pause till saying that would be weird was weird. We don't like that. Now, if you're doing something you enjoy, minutes fly. But if you're just sitting there and staring at your watch, uh, if, if you're involved in whatever activity it is and you're not particularly enjoying it, it seems like work maybe, but uh, uh, you're watching it and that minute seems like it takes so much longer, yet it's the exact same. And as we watch it and as we, we look at it, and you know, 10, 10 months ago, in two days now, was my 40th birthday. And for my 40th birthday, I got this watch. And uh, I love this watch. Now, it's not a cool Apple watch or anything fancy. It's not going to answer my phone calls for me. It's not Get Smart style. It's not going to do my text. I'm not going to be able to do any of those things. As a matter of fact, it doesn't even have the date on it. But what's so cool about it to me is it just you can see all the gears working, and you can see all the stuff, and, and those gears are making a second-hand tick. And every second goes around, and at 60, it moves the minute hand one more minute forward. And I thought about it that, that for the last 10 months and two days, this has been pretty much on my wrist. And as I've watched it tick away, i watched the moments that make up those seconds, that make up those minutes, that make up those hours, that make up those days, months, and now almost a year since my 40th birthday, as I watch that go away, and I think back to myself, what have we done? What have I done with those moments to make up those seconds, to make up those minutes, to make up those hours? And it's, it's a question I think we all have, because really, wasn't it just Halloween? I mean, in, really, in reality, I think that we had a great group of people out there helping out at Harvest Festival, and as they helped out at Harvest Festival, it was just yesterday that they were doing it. I mean, 
we still, no, we don't. I was going to say, we still have Halloween candy, but we don't. Uh, but uh, you, there's a reality how quickly it came and it went, and it's going to happen again before we know it. Five weeks from today, it's going to be New Year's Day, and as we celebrate New Year's Day, we're going to be into a whole new year, and we're going to get back into a regular routine. And I got to thinking about that ticking of the second hand and how amazing time is and how it's made up of the seconds that make up the minutes, that make up the hours, that make up the days, that make up the weeks, that make up the months, that make up the years, and how that plays itself out in our life and how quickly we get old. Christy posted yesterday on, on Facebook that I may or may not be able to preach this week because I hurt myself playing Twister. Um, and uh, the, reason, the reason why I hurt myself playing Twister is because, well, frankly, I'm old. And uh, I don't flex the way, I've never been a flexible person, but I really am not flexible anymore. When you have to reach in a certain direction for Twister and something goes, I see you say, I'm done. And you stand up and you slowly kind of gingerly walk away. And that's exactly what I did. And, and to think about, uh, the, the funny thing is, is that I was laughing. Twister, actually, this is its 50th anniversary. It started in 1966. So when I was 10, or when it was 10, I was born. And it, it was one of those things that I grew up playing. And I just, I'm not going to play it anymore. My kids love it. And that's great. I will be the spinner. That's my job. And, uh, and I'll probably hurt myself doing that too. But, you know, even, even as you watch it and you watch the, the time take place. I think about how we mark things that have happened in our lives. Generally, it's not by the time, but instead it's by the moments that make up that time. There are good moments that happen in our lives, and and we remember those moments. There are bad moments that happen in our lives, and, and we remember those moments. But you know, there's also moments that we miss, and we know we miss them, and they make up a lot of our memories as well. And I got to thinking about that with Christmas and how quickly everything moves and how, how it just seems to, to fly by. And as it flies by and we sit and we can watch our watch and it just tick away and just keeps ticking, keeps ticking, keeps ticking. As those things go by, how many moments along this way for the next 27 days and 13 and a half hours are we going to miss of moments because we're so focused on what's getting ready to come. And you know, those moments when they come together and, and the, the way they come together make up a, a thing I like, think we like to call timing. There, there's like a perfect timing that is out there and somehow, some way, God does some pretty crazy things. And in those pretty crazy things, he brings these moments together where they interweave themselves and this perfect timing takes place and things happen in our lives that we tend to think of as coincidence, but God had a plan all along. And I think about that in, in our lives, and I think about how important timing is in everything that we do, that, in, in everything that exists. You know, I got to thinking about this weekend, uh, New Mexico ski resorts opened this weekend, and they got good snow last night, and they've been getting snow for up to this point. But let me ask you a question. Why didn't they open in July? Yeah, I mean, simply put, it's not time. The timing was off on that. I'm not sure about how many of you guys are really, really excited about going and jumping in the river after this service is over, because you're thinking, you know, it's just time, right, to swim in the Rio Grande. It's, it's one of those things. You wouldn't probably do it in the summer either, because it's disgusting. But the, the whole thing is, is that it's not time. I'm not sure. Anybody in here uh, have a garden in their backyard? This weekend, did you take some time and dig up your box to plant your tomatoes? No. 
Because it's not time. Timing really is part of everything that exists. And as we look at, at timing, uh, you know I'm a sports guy. I, I, I reference sports often. I will not reference any of the teams that I like right now because every single one of them is terrible. And so, uh, but the thing is, is that you take a quarterback, if their timing is off, which it has been for the last 10 games, if their timing is off... They are not going to hit their wide receiver. If you take a basketball player and the timing is off on an alley-oop, you're only going to get an alley without any oop. And so, so we have to understand that timing is so important. And as I look at this timing, I think about different things that have happened in life. Another thing I like is movies. And if, if you're a, a movie person, this is a great time of year because there's some great Christmas movies. And there have been for many, many years. And I... Growing up, we used to watch Christmas movies all the time, and one of the ones we'd always watch was the, the, the 1947 edition, not the color version, but the 1947 edition of Miracle on 34th Street. If you know anything about Miracle on 34th Street, it's really a movie that boils down to timing. And you might say, well, I thought it was about Chris Kringle who thought he was Santa Claus and went on trial and did all that kind of stuff like that. Well, it is, but it all starts out with timing. See, Chris Kringle, who believes he's Santa Claus, wants to get everybody else to believe he's Santa Claus, shows up at the Macy's Day Parade. And if you know anything about the Macy's Day Parade, the last part of the float is Santa Claus coming to usher in the, the Christmas season. And as uh, he shows up there, the, the store Santa is inebriated and unable to function at his job. So Mrs. Walker goes and she hires Chris, because he looks like Santa Claus, to be that. And because of that, everything changes. Chris wasn't there on accident. It was about timing. And I began to think about that as I think about movies, I think about sports, I think about all of these things. Christmas was about and is about timing. And it is about moments that make up that timing. And you look throughout from the, from the very beginning, God had a plan. This week I, I had a, a text from a friend, and, and the text was, hey, I got a quick question for you. It's an easy question. Would you mind, would you mind just taking a second to answer? I'm like, sure, shoot, what is it? He goes, have you always believed in God? And I said, that is not an easy question. That's absolutely not an easy question. And I said, well, you know, if you go by my family, yeah, I grew up in the church, in the Catholic church, and then got saved at age 12 and, and uh, you know, began to understand a little bit more about God. I, I would say I've always believed that there is a God, and I've always believed in Him. And, and when I became a Christian, I understood a little bit more about it. I said, but the thing that I can say that I, I don't believe, and I don't say that in a, a, a negative way, is I just can't believe it. The way that God works, the way that God does things, his plans are so much different than my plans. When bad things happen, we question, why, God, did you let that happen? Sometimes when good things happen, we say, well, why did you let that happen? Why did it happen this way? And we let these things kind of get in there. And that's where my mind has a hard time sometimes with these moments that God somehow, with seven billion people around the planet, has taken this life and this life and intertwined them where these moments come together as we think is a coincidence and maybe even a miracle that these things come together to make something that we remember and hold on to. And I thought about that with Christmas. And I thought about the miracle of Christmas. See, this year for Christmas, we're actually calling our theme the miracle of Christmas. And we're going to break down some of the things. And the first one is, is the miracle of the moment. The miracle of the moment and, and how we can, we can celebrate this holiday and let it pass sometimes without really focusing on it. I, I, that bothers me in my own life. 
that Christmas will come way too fast. And I will miss moments along the way that make up the miraculous moment that we celebrate that is marked on December 25th. And that's the reason why we have a Christmas Day service, not just the fact that it's on a Sunday this year, but since the very beginning, we've done a Christmas Day service, whether it was on a Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. We've done a Christmas Day service because we want to mark the amazingness of the moment that Christ was born. Because I think when you really look at it, you, you, you miss Christmas because we just assume the story. I told Jerome even this week, I, I, I don't like preaching during Christmas because everybody expects the same songs and everybody expects the same story. And the same story becomes just a story. But I want to look at it from the, the, the perspective of how amazing it really is. And the first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at the book of Galatians. And in Galatians chapter 4, if you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to open up to it. If you have a hard time finding it, it's in the New Testament. And the best way that I grew up finding Galatians was is that it fell in these, these epistle letters that, that Paul had written. And it was Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And the way you remember that order is God eats pork chops. So it's, it's real, real easy for you to remember where it's at. So if you hit Ephesians, you know to go back to God eating. Uh, so those are the ways that I remember things. I hope that helps you out a little bit. But as you flip over to Galatians... What I want to do is I want to just take a real brief overview and explain a little bit more as the, as the morning goes on, on what Paul is writing to the church of Galatia. See, the church of Galatia was really struggling with how to be saved. And they already knew that Savior was Jesus, that salvation is found in faith alone. They knew that, but they were struggling with it because their whole lives they'd grown up having to do works. So they thought, well, it's Jesus plus my works, Jesus plus my tithe, Jesus plus whatever it is that equals salvation. And Paul's like, no, it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And he's trying to explain that to him. And in the process of it all, he says, hey, because Jesus came, you were an heir. You were an heir, you were adopted, you were a part of this family. And that's what we're going to pick up at here in Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up here on the screen. It says this, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children... We're enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. But when the fullness of time came, or had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, there's one verse I want you to see in this, and I kind of gave you the, the first three and the last three that, that surround it to kind of give you the, the context of it all. But what Paul is trying to tell this church at Galatia is that at the right time, God knew the moment. God knew the plan. He had it all worked out from the very beginning. In the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. The NIV said when the time, the set time had fully come. The New Living Translation actually says, when the right time came, what made it the right time? You know, I got to thinking about that because if I were God and I were making plans, and thank God that I am not, but if I were God and I were making the plans, what would I have done? Well, I would have had Jesus come now. 
And the reason why I would have had Jesus come now is because I could have had CNN, and I could have had Fox News, and I could have had all the local stations gather around that manger so we didn't have to worry about having an angel go tell shepherds out in some field. And that way the word would get out, that the Savior of the world had been born. And I don't know what a manger might have looked like or anything like that at this point in time, but that it would happen this way, and all the focus could be on it. It would be a little bit different, but God had a different plan. And in God's different plan, he really used some different things along the way. When it says the right time came that God sent his son at just the right moment. And like I said, you know, we look at history and say, well, why did he do it this way? And how did he do it this way? And I got to thinking, there's really three things that we need to have questions answered for us as we look at this passage. And that's when God sent his son, how God sent his son, and why God sent his son. And I think Paul is writing this to the church of Galatia to help them to remember. So the first one we're going to look at is this. When God sent his son, and it says in that first verse, or verse 4 I should say, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. See, I told you, the, 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 um, the Galatians were, were struggling with the, the law. And the reason why they were struggling with the law is because about 2,000 years previous, God had made a promise to a guy by the name of Abraham, saying there's going to be a Messiah who comes through your lineage, who comes through your seed. And those people got excited about that. But 2,000 years have passed. Think about this. 2,000 years from now, you're given a promise today, and the 2,000 years from now is going to be fulfilled. Are you really that excited about it? Now, there's probably going to be some things that, that wane over time, and that's exactly what happened. They began to, to follow the law. They began to create these churches and synagogues and such, and they would go to this, and they would understand the law, and they were struggling for what, probably the last 1,300 years with keeping that law. And keeping that law made them feel like sinners. Well, guess what? They were. And because they felt that way, they, they knew they needed a Savior, and finally, God at the just the right time, in the fullness of time, came and revealed himself in a human form through his son, Jesus Christ. For sinners just like them and sinners just like you and I. As we see this play itself out, this when, there, there's some things that, that, that took place that, as we might say, in the moment were coincidental, but God had a plan. And the first thing that happened, I, I wrote down four of them, there's more than that, but I wrote down four of them to really point out what it is. The first thing of these things that came together for, for God to, to use this to spread his word, to share about who Jesus was and make known the world is this thing called Greek culture. And Greek culture might be thinking some sort of yogurt, but that's not what we're talking about, okay? Because uh, that's gross yogurt, by the way. And uh, uh, in 350 B.C., there was, there was a, a, a baby born to a Macedonian king. That Macedonian king's name was Philip, and his son's name that was born was Alexander. We know him now as Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great had uh, taken the known world and conquered it in a grand whopping total of 12 years. And in those 12 years, he conquered this world, and he began to, to try and Hellenize or take the Greek culture and impart it on everything, everywhere. And in that, he wanted to bring Greek philosophy, he wanted to bring, bring Greek arts, he wanted to bring all these things, but especially the Greek language. And for the first time since the Tower of Babel, when God scattered everybody and had them do different languages, people were coming together again to understand and be able to speak one language. Well, how did God use that to share his message? 
Does anybody know what language the New Testament's written in? Greek. So if you look at Greek and you say that God found just the right time, when the fullness of time had come, it's because, excuse me, um, as you look at the fullness of time had come, the Greek New Testament could go out to all the people and they could understand it. The second thing that we see is a thing called Pax Romana. Now, Pax Romana, it, it sounds like a big word, and I didn't make it up. It's all about the fact that Rome, after Greece had gone out, and this Alexander the Great had gone and, and dominated, excuse me for just a second, had gone out, Rome had come along and stabilized the, everything by peace. And they brought peace by force, which is an interesting concept. But they, they brought peace by force, and, and as they brought peace by force, people started to follow these rules. And there wasn't the uprising, and, and all these things had taken place. But Greek language in place, and these Romans would go, and they would go throughout the culture, and they would hold this together. Well, they built roads. And in the process of building roads to move their armies along, guess what also happened with those roads? Just coincidentally, if you want to call it that, those roads opened up the door for guys like Paul and guys like uh, Barnabas and, and, and guys like Apollos to go and be missionaries into these cultures that, that otherwise would have been unreached. But because the roads were there, they were able to use that. So God used not only the Greek language, but he also used the Romans' roads to get his gospel out there. The third thing we see is what we might say the Jewish synagogues. Since the Babylonian exile, the Jews had, had really began to forsake idols. And, and in forsaking the idols, they were going to these things that were synagogues. And, and like our modern-day churches, if you were here last week, James talked about that a little bit, about how the synagogues set up for what we do today. But what happened in those synagogues is people would come and they would hear about God and they would learn about God. And one of the things they learned about was that a Messiah was coming. And as they heard that this Messiah was coming and these things were taking place, they would begin to prepare their hearts for it, and they began to hear about this, and it opened up this door for the word that went out in Greek on those Roman roads. The fourth thing that was on there is this. There was a spiritual vacuum that had taken place. A spiritual vacuum had taken place. There's a guy by the name of Warren Wearsby, and he wrote this book called Be Free. And he says this in it. Historians tell us that the Roman world was in great expectation. Waiting for a deliverer at the time that Jesus was born. The old religions were dying. The old philosophies were empty and powerless to change men's lives. Strange new mystery religions were invading the empire. Religious bankruptcy and spiritual hunger were everywhere. God was preparing the world for the arrival of his son. See, there was this God-shaped hole and every person that's out there, it's a spiritual vacuum. And they were trying to fill it with whatever they could, but there was nothing they could fill it except for God himself. He had prepared this way. And that is the reason why this verse says, in the fullness of time, when these things had all come together, God sent his son. And we see it play itself out that just at the right time in history that Jesus was born, it wasn't some accident. It wasn't some accident that he picked Mary at just the right time. It wasn't some accident that, that he was going to be, to be born in, in Bethlehem to fulfill prophecies that had been talked about years and years and years before. It wasn't an accident. It was just God 
working this out in just the right moment. There's a miracle in this moment that I think we miss because we've heard the story so many times. Not just when, but also how. How God sent his son. See, it wasn't an accident on how either. See, he says, sent forth, born of a woman. Born of a woman, also born under the law. Now, there's some, there's some different things we have to hold on to, but I think Charles Spurgeon, uh, he wrote uh, about this, the craziness and the significance of the incarnation, you know, the, the Jesus becoming flesh. And he put this, he said, infinite and yet an infant, eternal and yet born of a woman, almighty and yet hanging on a woman's breast, supporting a universe and yet needing to be carried in a mother's arms, the king of angels and yet reputed son of Joseph. Heir of all things, and yet the carpenter's despised son. You have the fully human side of Jesus, this helpless baby that is also God of the universe. And and there's this how he was born that, that we sometimes miss once again in that story. That is why in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. See, if he wasn't fully God and fully human, that wouldn't matter. But he came to live this perfect life to fulfill that law. And not just fulfill that law, but to to basically come and say, it's not what you need anymore. It's the grace of Jesus that you need. And we see it play itself out in our lives, and we see it that way. And he could not have done it had he not been fully God and fully man. Romans 8, 3, and 4 says this, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk Not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, when God sent His Son, it was perfect in His timing, but it was also perfect in His plan on how He did it. The third, excuse me, the third question. You have the the when and the how, but how about the why? Have you ever stopped and asked that question? Why did God send His Son? Why did He care about me enough to send His Son? Why did He care about you enough to send His Son? Because He knew exactly what he was getting himself into. He knew that he was coming to be born and to live on this earth for 30 plus years and to die and die a brutal death. He knew that, but he did it anyway. Why? Why for me? Why for you? Well, that answer is actually found in verse 5 of that same passage in Galatians chapter 4. It says to redeem those who are under the law. To redeem means to buy out or to buy back. It was about slavery. It was about purchasing somebody out of slavery. See, when Paul was writing this in this time, what would happen is is people were were in the midst of, of being slaves, and he would buy them in redemption in order to receive them for adoption. That's the second word we need to see here is adoption. See, adoption, of course, is is giving sonship to someone who's not your own natural son. And he would bring them in, and he was writing to a group of people who fully understood this because there were wealthy men who didn't have any children of their own or didn't have a son or an heir. So what they would do is they would take one of their slaves, they would free one of their slaves, and then they would adopt them as one of their sons in order that they could have the inheritance. And that's exactly what God did for us. See, he took us out of slavery and bondage to sin and the law and freed us from that. He paid the price through his son, Jesus Christ, so that we could be his sons and daughters. 
That is an amazing thing. That is a miracle of a moment to see this all play itself out. But the crazy thing is, is, is what, what's a, when we really think about the shed blood that was paid to redeem us and adopt us, that we forget about even at Christmas time, that this was the start of it. At least for us. This was the human start of it. God had a plan from the very beginning to use this for his honor and his glory. John Stott writes this. He's a pastor. So, so the divinity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, and the righteousness of Christ uniquely qualified him to be a man's redeemer. If he had not been man, he could not have redeemed men. If he had not been a righteous man, he could not have redeemed unrighteous men. And if he had not been God's son... He could not have redeemed men for God or made them sons of God. See, the timing and the method and the reason show us this miracle that makes up Christmas. A day that sometimes we can get so lost in, so kind of caught up in in the busyness of it all that we miss what exactly has taken place. But you know what's even more awesome? That even though on that day he came, and put on flesh and live that life. And, and the timing was perfect. And, and the way the method was used was perfect. And, and the, the how was perfect. And the, the why was perfect. And everything he's done. You know what's even more awesome than all that? Is the fact that he still comes today. It's the fact that he still comes today. See the miracle of Christmas is not limited to the fact that God came just at the right time. But that he still comes today. The Christmas season I think lots of people go through lots of emotions. But the problem is, instead of going through the emotions, they just go through the motions. They just exist. They just go through it. Just get through these holidays. Just get to this next year. Just get to the next day. Just get to the next minute. And they miss the moments along the way. And I found myself doing it. I'm sure that you've done it. Let's just get through this. Let's get to this next point. We miss the moments along the way. But the fact that Jesus still comes today is something that people desperately need to hear. See, this holiday season, people are just going to go through the business of it all, and they're going to miss Jesus. But they desperately need him. That is it. There's a hope. There's a desire. There's all of these things inside of them that desperately need him, and they're going to miss it. But the thing is, is like I said, there's these moments that happen along the way. There's a moment that you're going to run into somebody who needs to hear it. There's a moment that you're sitting here right now, that you're taking this time, because maybe this is what you need to hear, that Jesus came at just the right time for you. Look at the character of who God is when you look at the Old Testament. I'm just going to pick out three verses, and there's plenty of others, but just three verses. Psalm 145, 14 and 15 says, The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. And that due season is at just the right time. Psalm 104, 27 says the same thing. They all look to you to give them their food in due season. Deuteronomy eleven fourteen says, He will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the later rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. See, just the right time. It keeps popping up. His timing is perfect. God's timing is not my timing. That is something that I always have to remind myself of because there's things that I want and there's things that I think that I need and there's ways that I would do it if I were God, but he has this way of working out the right moment to meet me where I am at. The crazy thing is, is when we look at that, we look at this fact that it's, it's always right. 
His timing is never off. He came just at the right time, and he continues to come just at the right time. I love what it says in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. It talks about this timing that he is there. It says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us at the right time. Let me ask you a question. When is it that you're desperate for a miracle? Is it when things are going really, really well? Is it when things are are going so perfectly that you just have to get down on your knees and say, God, I just need a miracle? Or is it when things are going really, really cruddy? When you're at the very bottom of where you are, when you're hopeless, when, when everything in, in your life is, is going wrong, when you are still weak, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He came at just the right time. We have to remember that. that there's, a, there's a time and a place to receive that miracle from God, and it's when we're in the position to receive it in such a way. Because sometimes I think we miss the ones that come along, but we're in that position of hopelessness, of, of unable to do it. He comes at just the right time. Now, as I've talked to you about this is the right time, this miracle of the moment, I, the question really comes to me is this, is how does that translate for today? How do we walk out of here with something today? How do we take this and apply this to our lives today? How do we take this and, and use this during this moment in time? And I, and I got to thinking about this. It seems like we're always waiting for just the right time to do something. Some of you went Black Friday shopping. Some of you went at 3 o'clock on Thursday because that's when the stores open for whatever reason. And some of you went at 5 o'clock, and some of you went at 6 o'clock, and some of you got up early to go on Friday morning. Why? Because it was just the right time, right? It was just the right time to save whatever money that you need to save on whatever thing that you, you needed to get. And I do sarcastically say needed. Um, but uh, it's just the right time, wasn't it? We're waiting for the right time. I remember the, the, the day that I proposed to Christy. I remember the moment better than the day. But it was just the right time. And to lead up to that day, I had to find just the right time to talk to her dad. Or as he called himself at that time, Dr. Beavers, because I wasn't allowed to call him dad or even by his first name. Because there was a little bit of fear and uh, intimidation that was taking place there. And and you had to find just the right time. And in in our lives, we have that just the right time to do what? What is it that we're waiting for? And as I look at today and I look at the moments that pass, and I even watch my watch and I see it tick away. We've been doing this now. I've been talking for, what, roughly 40 minutes or so. And as I look at that and I say, I've been talking for this 40 minutes, what have we done during that 40 minutes? I've wasted 40 minutes of your life. Are we going to do something with that 40 minutes and apply it in such a way that we've looked at since September, talking about the purpose of our life and the purpose of our church and our life on mission and to live that life generously? How do we do, excuse me, how do we do that? What do we do? How do we take this and apply it so it's not just a wasted moment? Maybe today, for some of you, you're waiting for just the right time to make a commitment of your life to Christ as Savior and Lord. You've been, I, I'm just going to wait. I just don't fully understand it. Well, guess what? I still don't fully understand it. All I know is that Jesus came. He put on flesh. 
He lived a life that I could never live and died a death that I deserved to die so that I could have an eternal relationship with his father. There's a lot of other things that go with it, but that's the basic of the gospel right there. Maybe you're waiting to make that commitment to say, I want him to be the Lord of my life. Today is the day to do that. Stop wasting the moments. Maybe it's about baptism. Maybe you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, but you've never taken that step to say, I want to tell all of my friends and all of my family that on, uh, on a, a physical way to say, I've been buried with him and being taken underneath the water and raised again. I want to do that, but I, I just don't know when the right time is. And I saw the last time we did it, we did it in a river. So I know right now it's not the right time to do that, right? No, we'll rent a pool for you. We'll do whatever we have to do to make that step. Stop wasting the moments. Stop missing those moments. Maybe you're waiting for that time to say, I do want to live my life on mission. But maybe now just isn't the right time because there's so much. It's kind of like nobody started their diet last week. Okay, it just wasn't the right time. And you're thinking, I, I just don't want to go on that spiritual diet by, by making him the Lord of my life and living out this life on mission in such a way that it's going to affect what my Christmas might look like. Stop wasting the moments. I don't know what God is calling you to do. I don't know what Jesus is calling you to do. But this is what we need to understand. Now is the right time. Stop wasting the moments. Allow God to work in you. Allow these moments to come together. That that moment will lead to another moment, which will lead to another moment. And maybe somebody along the way will see what's going on, and they too will meet Jesus. See, it just took a moment, just the right time, in the fullness of time, for God to change this world. I truly believe it will just take a moment for God to change your world too. You just have to see that moment for what it is. Don't miss the moment. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are. And thank you that you have sent your son at just the right time. That your word spread through the use of, of people who, who didn't believe in you, whether it be the Greeks or the Romans, whether they're people that, that believed differently than the way that you had said it because they were so focused on the law. But you use it all for your glory and your honor. And you made just the right moment for your son to come down and put on flesh. The incarnation. To live a life of perfection. To fulfill the law. And to die for those who couldn't. And to pour out your grace and your mercy through his resurrection on me and on everybody in here. And God, maybe there's somebody in here that hasn't made that decision yet to accept you as their Savior because they just don't fully understand. I, God, I just pray that you speak to them right now, that the Holy Spirit comes down upon them and just gives them that ability to just grasp the concept of salvation, the concept of the gospel. Help them know that the rest of it will begin to fall into place until the day they die. But today is that day not to waste that moment. Maybe they need to make that profession in baptism. Maybe they need to, to say, I, I want to renew my marriage in such a way. I want to renew my, my family in such a way. I want to renew these relationships in such a way. I want to live my life in such a way to say that I am a follower of Christ, not just to change me, but to change the people around me. They will see that change take place and say, there's something different about that person. And that something different is the fact that you are the Lord of their life. But it all starts with this moment. God, I pray that you move in this moment, just like you moved in that moment 2,000 plus years ago, 
to see this world change. And as you move in this moment, change our world as well. We pray it all in your name. Amen.